0: Hello, 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 my friends. Um, so, <laughs> we are going to uh, touch on something today that you might be surprised and it might be a little upsetting, uh, so I will just mention it as a trigger warning to anyone. Uh, we are going to touch on the topic of suicide today, um, in no way glorifying, promoting Or seeking to have an in-depth discussion about the act or any reasons why or anything like that Um, but it is mentioned in the chapter um, very briefly and I thought it was worth talking about um, a certain writers influence on Jane Austen and one of the things that that would touch on is the topic of suicide so um, I will bring that up just as a note. If anyone is uncomfortable with hearing anything else, you can skip ahead to the chapter. The chapter mentions it, like I said, very briefly. Um, so I do not think it would seriously affect anybody. Um, but I will always mention it so you can be your own guide on those sorts of things, on what your comfort level is. All right. Give them a moment to leave if they need to, and uh think that's enough time, so um if anyone is still staying, um the reason I bring this up is because at one point during the chapter today, Marianne will mention that if she had died while she'd been ill, it would have been considered self destruction. And um that is um a phrase for suicide And during this time it was um there was a. If you've done any feminist studies, you've probably run across an early forerunner of feminism, of Mary Mary uh, Woolstone Craft. Okay, I had to look it up because I'm like, oh, bored. It's one of those multi names. Anyway, um, Mary was a forerunner of feminism. It did not exist during her time as a word such or as a movement, um, but she definitely did influence a lot of people she wrote a couple stories and articles one of them being very popular um, and uh, more dramatically during her life she had a couple love affairs uh, had a child through a love affair um, then married someone and um, then uh, she died and her husband posthumously published this book about her life that is apparently largely fictionalized and in it he um, very dramatically recounts how um, after her two love affairs went awry she tried to commit suicide and these were reasonable sane and rational acts like i said i am not here to talk about that at all so i'm directly moving on because i don't want to get bogged down in anything because yeah um anyway uh so he published that um right around the turn of the century and it greatly influenced a lot of people and a lot of the culture at the time. Um, Jane Austen was one of them. Jane Austen, we know, had read Mary Wollstonecraft. She references her indirectly several times. Um, This being one of them about self-destruction over a love affair became synonymous with Mary Wollstonecraft at this time. Um, And Jane Austen's own characters in many stories reflect some of the ideals that Mary Wollstonecraft was on about about um, equality between the sexes. Woman is not an inferior sex to man. Uh, it's kind of the things we think of as basic principles of feminism now um, that were new and radical ideas uh, to some at the time. So anyway, uh, it did have great She she was an interesting author, she led an interesting life Um, and, um, her works did affect Jane Austen, and we see Jane Austen largely embrace an early form of feminism. I mean, if you think about what Jane Austen is doing, she is writing books from a female perspective to a female audience about female matters, um, and is largely successful. I, that just doesn't happen that many times, um, Before Jane Austen's era, you don't really see that many female writers writing to women, about women, and being successful. And Jane Austen managed to break that formula, and she managed to popularize these ideas. And it really went along with the romantics, this idea of the quality of the sexes, and that women might be the fairer sex, but that doesn't mean they're soft and meek and mild. Um, And interesting side sort of note. Uh Mary Wollstone's Crofts um one of her children uh was Mary Shelley. Uh the she gave she actually died after giving birth to Mary Shelley, um, who we all know more popularly as the author of Frankenstein. Um so yeah, that anyway. But um yeah, so this this was a woman who uh, she had these thoughts and feelings about feminism, and then her husband posthumously published this story about her life. And a lot of the takeaway, of course, none of us will be surprised this happens even in the modern era of, you know, this very interesting woman's very interesting life and her interesting thoughts about uh the female role in society and logic and reason and nature and uh, political... It, many political things uh and it got boiled down to who she was sleeping with when and the fact that she nearly killed herself over it twice that that was what it got boiled down to Uh, anyway um marianne references her in this chapter, which is the first reference to Mary Wollstonecroft in Sense and Sensibility. There is a reference to her, I was reading about it, in every single one of Jane Austen's works, aside from Lady Susan, um, which is a short novella, um, but all the other works have a reference to Mary Wollstonecroft, so um, she definitely was very much on Jane Austen's mind, a part of the society and culture, and in this reference today, it is specifically about the dramatic way in which Mary Wollstonecraft lived her life and she was a larger than life figure and um, she married the father of anarchism one of the fathers of modern anarchism and that's Mary Shelley's father uh, so you know <laughs> she, she was a very fascinating woman and um, anyway I just thought I'd bring her up because it seemed like you know, it seemed like a shame to not bring someone up like that. And just because, you know, the, the subject matter is obviously not something we want to talk about. Um, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, I'm sure most people listening to this, their lives have been affected by suicide some way or the other. It sounds... It's not fun to talk about. But on the other hand, um, it, was, it would it seem like a shame to let it pass by and say, well, I'm not going to bring up Mary Wollstonecraft because I don't want to talk about the one way she's referenced. Oh my god, cat, why are you such a bitch? Okay, sorry. I have to pause. All right, sorry about that. Uh like most homeowners, I uh had to scold one animal for being a brat and don't really mind because I got a really cute picture out of it. So. <laughs> um but I think I said everything I was going to say, so I think we'll just go on with the story. Um Anyway, it, it she's an interesting person to look up if you do want to look up her ideas of feminism, and we will pro- probably mention her again in other contexts, um, since she was influential to Jane Austen and Jane Austen's works. But uh, as, uh, as far as today goes, we're just going to go ahead with the chapter. Chapter 10. Being the chapter. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I just, like, forget to hit stop, and then it's like... When do you hit stop? Stop is such a weird button. And the word stop. Stop. Marianne's illness, though weakening in its kind, had not been long enough to make her recovery slow. And with youth, natural strength, and her mother's presence in aid, it proceeded so smoothly as enabled her to remove, within four days after the arrival of the latter, into Mrs. Palmer's dressing-room, when there, at her own particular request, for she was impatient to pour forth her own thanks to him for fetching her mother, Colonel Branded was invited to visit her his emotion in entering the room in seeing her altered in looks and in receiving the pale hand which she immediately held out to him was such as Eleanor's conjecture must arise from something more than his affection for marianne or the consciousness of its being known to others and she soon discovered in his melancholy eye and varying complexion as he looked at his sister the probable recurrence of many past scenes of misery to his mind, brought back by that resemblance between Marianne and Eliza, already acknowledged, and now strengthened by the hollow eye, the sickly skin, the posture of reclining weakness, and the warm acknowledgement of particular, peculiar obligation. <coughs> Eliza is, was also the name of, uh, Brandon's lost love, who devi- died I think, of tuberculosis in a pauper's hospital. So he has had to already go through this once before, and it was probably extremely traumatic. Mrs. Dashwood, not less watchful of what passed to then her daughter... But with a different mind, but with a mind differently influenced, was therefore watching a different effect and saw nothing in Colonel Brandon's, but what arose from the most simple and self-evident sensations. While well, the attractions and actions and words of Marianne, she persuaded herself to think that something more than gratitude already dawned. Sorry. Sorry. At the end of another day or two, Marianne growing visibly stronger every twelve hours, Mrs. Dashwood, urged equally by her own and her daughter's wishes, began to talk of removing to Barton on her measures depended those of her friends. Mrs. Jennings could not quit Cleveland during the dashwood stay, and Colonel Brandon was soon brought by their united request to consider his own abode there as equally determinate, if not equally indispensable. At his and Mrs. Jennings' united request in return, Mrs. Dashwood was prevailed on to accept the use of his carriage on her journey back, for the better accommodation of her sick child, and the colonel, at the joint invitation of Mrs. Dashwood and Mrs. Jennings, whose act of good nature made her friendly and hospitable for other people as well as herself, engaged with pleasure to redeem it by a visit at the cottage in the course of a few weeks. The day of separation and departure arrived, and Marianne, after talking so particular at length of and lengthened leave Mrs. Jennings, one so earnestly grateful, so full of respect and kind wishes as seemed due to her own heart from a secret acknowledgment of past inattention, and bidding Colonel Brandon a farewell with with the cordiality of a friend, was carefully assisted to him into the carriage, of which he seemed anxious that she should engross at least half. Mrs. Dashwood and Eleanor then followed, and the others were left by themselves to talk of the travellers to feel their own dullness, till Mrs. Jennings was summoned to her chase to take the comfort of gossip for a maid to the loss of her two young companions, and Colonel Brandon immediately afterwards took his own solitary way to Delaford. The Dashwoods were two days on the road, and Marianne bore the journey on both without essential fatigue. Everything that could be done with the most zealous affection and the most solicitous care could do was rendered to make her comfortable and was the office of watchful companion and each found their reward in her bodily ease her calmness of spirits to Eleanor, the observation of the latter was particularly grateful she who had seen her week after week so constantly suffering oppressed by anguish of the heart which she had neither the courage to speak of nor fortitude to conceal now saw with joy which no other could equally share an apparent composure of mind which was being the result that she trusted of serious reflection and must eventually lead her to contentment and cheerfulness as they approached Barton, indeed, and entered on scenes of which every field and tree brought some particular, some painful recollection, she grew silent and thoughtful, and turning away fr- her face from their notice, sat earnestly gazing through the window. But here, either neither wonder nor blame, when she saw that, as she assisted Marianne from the carriage, she had been crying. She saw only an emotion too natural in itself to raise anything less tender than pity, and its unobtrusive unobtrusiveness entitled to praise. In the whole of their subsequent manner she traced the direction of a mind awakened to reasonable exertion, for no sooner had they entered their common sitting-room than Marianne had turned her eye around with a look of resolute firmness, as if determined at once to accustom herself with the sight of every object in which the remembrance of Willoughby could be connected. She said little, but every sentence seemed aimed at cheerfulness and though a sigh sometimes escaped her, it never passed away without the atonement of a smile. After dinner she would try her pianoforte. She went to it, but the music on which her eye first rested was an opera, procured for her by Willoughby, containing some of their favorite duets, and bearing its outward leaf on her own name in his writing. That would not do. She shook her head, put the music aside, and after running over the keys for a minute complained the feebleness of her fingers, and closed the instrument again, declaring, however with firmness, as she did so, that in the future she would practice much. The next morning produced no abatement in these happy symptoms. On the contrary, with the mind and body a length Alike strengthened by rest, she looked and spoke with more than genuine spirit, anticipating the pleasure of Margaret's return and talking of the dear family party which would be then restored, of their mutual pursuits and cheerful society, and which only happiness is the only happiness worth a wish. When the weather is settled i will have recovered my strength said she we will take long walks together every day we will walk for to the farm at the edge of the down and see how the children go on we will walk to sir john's new plantations at barton cross and the abbey land and we will often go to the ruins of the old priory and try to trace its foundations as far as they were, we were told they once reached i know we shall be happy i know the summer will pa- pass happily away I mean never to be later in the rising than six, and from that time till dinner I shall divide every moment between music and reading. I have formed my plan, and I am determined to enter on a course of serious study. Our own library is too well known to me to be restored for anything beyond mere amusement, but there are many works well worth reading at the park, and there are others more modern and there are are others of a more modern production that i know i can borrow of colonel brandon by reading only six hours a day i shall gain the course of a twelve-month of a great deal of instruction which i now feel I myself to want Eleanor obliged her for a plan which originated so nobly as this, though smiling to see the same eager fancy which had been leading to her extreme languid idleness and since selfish repining, now at work in introducing the excessness of a scheme of such rational employment and virtuous self-control. Her smile, however, changed with a sigh when she remembered her promise to Willoughby, was yet unfulfilled, and she feared that she had to communicate which might unsettle again the mind of Marianne, and ruin at least, for their time, this fair prospect of busy tranquillity. Willing, therefore, to delay the evil hour, she resolved to wait till her sister's health were more secure before she appointed it, but the resolution was made only to be broken. Marianne had been two or three days at home before the weather was fine enough for an invalid like herself to venture out, but at last a soft, genial morning appeared, as might tempt the daughter's wishes and the mother's confidence. And Marianne, leaning on Eleanor's arm, was authorized to walk as long as she could without fatigue in the lane before the house. The sisters set out at a pace, slow as the feebleness of Marianne, in an exercise hitherto untried since her illness required and they had only advanced so far as beyond the house to admit the full view of the hill, the important hill behind. When pausing within her eyes towards it, Marianne calmly said, "'There, exactly there,' Pointing with one hand, "'on that projecting mound, there I fell, and there I first saw Willoughby.' Her voice sunk with the word, and... But, presently reviving, she added, "'I am thankful to find that I can look with so little pain on the spot.' "'Shall we ever talk on that subject, Eleanor?' hesitantly it was said. "'Or will I be wrong? I can talk of it now, I hope, as I ought to do.' Eleanor tenderly invited her to be open. "'As for regrets, said Marianne, "'I have done with that. As far as he is concerned, I do not mean to talk to you now of what my feelings have been for him, but what they are now.' At present, if I could be satisfied on one point, I could always be allowed to think that he was not always acting a part, not always deceiving me, but above all, if I could be assured that he was never so very wicked as my fears have sometimes fancied him, since the story of that unfortunate girl... She stopped. Eleanor joyfully treasured her words as she answered. "'If you could be assured of that, you think you should be easy?' "'Yes.' My peace of mind is doubtfully involved in it, for it is not only horrible to suspect a person who has been what he has been to me of such designs, but what must they make me appear to myself, in a situation like mine, but a most shamefully unguarded affection could expose me to. How, then, asked her sister, would you account for his behavior? Oh, I would suppose him, oh, I would gladly suppose him to be only fickle, very, very fickle. Eleanor said no more, she was then debating within herself on the eligibility of beginning her story directly, or postponing till Marianne were stronger in health, and they crept on for a few minutes in silence. "'I am not wishing him too much good,' said Marianne at last with a sigh, "'when I wish his secret reflections may be no more unpleasant than my own. He will suffer enough in them.' "'Do you compare your conduct with his?' "'No, I compare it with what it ought to have been. I compare it with yours.' our situations have borne little resemblance they have been more than our conduct do not my dearest Eleanor, let your kindness defend what i know your judgment must censure my illness has made me think it has given me leisure and calmness for serious reflection long before i was recovered to talk i was perfectly able to reflect I considered our past, and I saw my own behavior since the beginning of our acquaintance with him last autumn, nothing but a series of imprudence towards myself, and a want of kindness to others. I saw that my own feelings had prepared my sufferings, and that my want of fortitude under them almost led me to my grave. My illness, I well knew, I had been entirely brought on by myself, by such negligence of my own health, as I even felt at the time to be wrong. Had I died, it would have been in self-destruction. I did not know what my danger till the danger was removed, but with such feelings as these reflections gave me, I wonder at my recovery. I wonder at the very eagerness of my desire to live, for the, to have time for atonement to my God. Oh my God, what is happening? What are you doing? Jesus Christ, animal. Okay. Sorry. Had I died, what, what particular misery should I have left you, my nurse, my friend, my sister, you who have seen all the fretful selfishness of my latter days? You who had known the murmurings of my heart, how would I have lived in your remembrance? My mother too. How could you have ever consoled her? I cannot express my own abhorrence to myself. Whatever I looked towards the past, I saw some duty neglected, or some failing feeling failing indulged everybody seemed injured by me the kindness the unceasing kindness of mrs jennings i had repaid with ungrateful contempt to the middletons to palmers the steels to every common acquaintance i even held insolent and unjust by their very attention to john and to fanny yes even to them as little as they deserve i had given less than their due but you, you above all, above my mother, have been wronged by me, and I, only I, knew that your heart and its sorrows, yet what did it influence me? Not any compassion that could benefit yourself. Your example was before me, but what without avail? Was I more considerate of you and your comfort? Did I imitate your forbearance, or lessen your restraints, by taking any part of those offices of general complacence, or particular guide which you had hitherto been left to a discharge alone? No, not when not. I- not less when I knew you to be unhappy than when I had believed you to be at ease. Did I turn away from every exertion of duty or friendship, scarcely allowed sorrow to exist but with me, forgetting only that heart which had deserted and wronged me, and leaving you, for whom I professed an unbounded affection, to be miserable for my sake? Here seized the rapid flow of her self-reproving spirit, and Eleanor, impatient to soothe, though too honest to flatter, gave her instant and en- that instantly that praise and support which her frankness and her contrition so well deserved. Marianne pressed her hand, and replied, You are very good. The future must be my proof. I have laid down my plan, and if I am capable of adhering to it, my feelings shall be governed and my temper improved. They shall no longer worry others or torture myself. I shall live now solely for my family. You my mother and Margaret must henceforth be all the world to me. You will share my affections entirely between you. From you, from my home, I shall never again have the smallest incitement to move. If I do not mix in society, you will only show that my spirit is humbled and my heart amended, and that I can practice the civilities, the lesser duties of life, with gentleness and forbearance. As for Willoughby, to say that I shall soon or shall ever have forget him would be idle. His remembrance can be overcome by no change of circumstance or opinions. But it shall be regulated; it shall be checked by religion, by reason, by constant employment. She paused and added in a lower voice, "If I could but know his heart, everything would become easy." Eleanor, who for now some time now had been reflecting on the propriety or impropriety of speeding had speedily hazarding her narration without feeling all that nearer decision all that nearer decision than the first. Hearing this and perceiving that as reflection did nothing, resolution must do all, she foo- soon f- f- food, oh my God. she soon found herself leading to the fact. She managed the recital as she hoped, with a dress, prepared her anxious listener with caution, and related simply and honestly the chief points on which Willoughby grounded his apology, did justice to his repentance, and softened only his prostrations of present regard. Marianne said not a word, she trembled, her eyes were fixed on the ground, and her lips became wider than even the sickness had left them. A thousand inquiries sprung up from her heart, but she dared not urge one. She caught every syllable with pain, painting, panting eagerness. Her hand, unknowingly to herself, pressed her sister's, tears covered her cheeks. Eleanor, dreading her to be tired, led her towards home, until they reached the door of the cottage, easily conjectured what curiosity must be though no questioner suffered to speak it, talked nothing but of Willoughby, and their conversation together was very carefully minute in every particular of speech and look, where minuteness could be safely indulged. As soon as they entered the house, Marianne, with a soft kiss of gratitude and the two words just articulate through her tears, Tell Mamma," withdrew from her sister and walked slowly up the stairs. Eleanor would not attempt to disturb a solitude so reasonable as what she now sought, and with a mind subject again... And with a mind anxiously prearranging its result and revo- resolution of reviving the subject again, should Marianne fail to do it, she turned to the particular parlor <sighs> to fulfill her parting injunction. Oh my god, thank god it's the end of the chapter. I don't think my lips could have stood any more plup 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 sounds. Okay, end chapter 10. <laughs> So Marianne is better. And they're back at Barton, and Marianne has apparently decided to become Eleanor, and Eleanor is friggin' delighted. Um, it, it, it's it's funny. It's one of those things, you know. Marianne's made her her decision about her new life, and I'm sure she will change somewhat. But uh, she also, I bet we'll still see. She's gonna have to find a middle ground, so that she's not all, all on the one side. But it is kind of interesting that Marianne seems to have totally come around to her sister's way of thinking. She realizes that she was pretty darn selfish. And, you know, that that's kind of nice. I'm sure Eleanor really appreciates that. Because Eleanor was really struggling there. And Marianne was like a zippy zip for help. And so it is nice that she's contrite and she realizes that she could have been better. So, anyway. um, And she told... Marianne the whole story about Willoughby so that's off our chest and now um, we're to head into the next chapter sort of exciting to see what's going to happen, right? You know, the new Marianne, here we go Okay, well um, I don't think next chapter is very long so I think we'll definitely be able to get that in tomorrow and I'll talk to you all tomorrow then. Bye for now